0: This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray.
1: My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray.
0: For those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions, and we manufacture all our own certified organic herbal extracts, which are either grown on our CCOF certified herb farm or which are sourced from other USA-certified organic suppliers. So you're listening to Ask Your A Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's uh, subject of blood pressure regulation, heart failure, and muscle atrophy, amongst others. Uh, Let's see what else uh, we may or may not get into. So the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911. Or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is one eight hundred five six eight three seven two three, 568 3723 which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. And we can also be reached toll-free on one eight 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 888 urb for further questions during normal business hours, Monday through Friday. Well, as it's becoming a, uh, a routine, a regular routine here on the third Friday of every month, we're very pleased to have uh, Dr. Pete to share his experience and wisdom that is... Uh, difficult to find somewhere else i'm not sure that we've ever found anybody quite like him um so he's been extensively researching many many different areas of health and nutrition uh for probably for 25 30 years or more and um, over 40 over 40 there you go <laughs> okay well tonight we're actually going to start um i'm, I'm going to first ask dr pete to introduce himself but we're going to start with uh, what he has been certainly educating us in the last three to four years Um, as being an an untruth, and there's uh, scientific evidence showing in the medical literature now, folks, to uh, show exactly what he's been saying for quite a long time. So, Dr. P., thanks so much for joining us on the show again. Hi. Okay, for those people who uh, perhaps have never heard the show before, which is totally possible, and uh, perhaps for those people who may not know you, would you just let the listeners know uh, your professional academic background?
2: I studied biology for a Ph.D., Uh, at the University of Oregon, 1968 to 72. And uh, before that had been uh, in various uh, things, linguistics, uh, art, taught taught a variety of uh, health-related courses, uh, psychology, philosophy, and and things that uh, were perspectives uh, on uh, my basic orientation which uh, is biological, but uh, biological in a very broad sense. Uh, My uh, graduate study in biology uh, concentrated on aging of the reproductive system, but the reason I went to the graduate school, uh, I was intending to study brain biology uh, because of my previous work in linguistics and psychology. I wanted to understand how the brain handled Uh, Consciousness and language, but um, at the university I discovered that the um, biologists were really uh, no more scientific than the people in the humanities and social sciences. It was uh, very heavily ideological, so that was why I shifted over to the other end of the organism uh, where where I could look at uh, more physical biochemical processes.
1: Well, it sounds very well-rounded because the psyche affects biochemistry and biochemistry affects the psyche, right?
0: Yeah. Okay, well, the uh, subjects that we wanted uh, to uh, expand on with uh, the research that you've done and the articles that you've written, in fact, this uh, this month's newsletter is pretty much um, based around... Uh, Rather, the show is pretty much based around your newsletter for this month. And the uh, subjects that you had on the newsletter there was uh, um, basically blood pressure uh, regulation, muscle atrophy and heart failure in perspective uh, along with edema. And one thing that really caught my attention, I know for the longest time, well, for all the time that we've been uh, speaking and consulting with you probably three years, or maybe four now. Um, over four. Over four. But I'm, just, just tell me, how many years has it been that you have been um, purporting that saturated fats are better than polyunsaturates as a first off?
2: I really uh, started thinking intensively about it at the end of the 70s, but I ran into the, the question very directly in aging research in the reproductive system because way back in the 1930s and 40s, people were showing that estrogen accelerated the breakdown of polyunsaturated fats, which intensified the effects of estrogen and accelerated aging, especially in the reproductive tissues. Uh, But uh, it took several years after... uh, Fin- finishing my dissertation before I uh, got around to uh, really concentrating on the nutritional uh, okay. implications of that and uh, uh, emphasizing the benefits of coconut oil around nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine
1: so w- way back then it was already there was already literature showing that the saturated fats which are coming from animal fats and coconut oil, versus the polyunsaturates, which are the liquid vegetable oils and are now present in pork and chicken fat and fish because and the, of what they're feeding these animals, including the fish, the farm-raised fish.
0: And the whole food chain. That's not, that's well, not, yeah, that's and, not it, and
1: then it that. filters down the whole food chain. But So you're saying back then all of this research was available for people to view? Uh,
2: yeah, by the 1940s or 50s. Uh, The polyunsaturated fats, both fish oil and seed oil, had been incriminated in uh, intensifying some of the estrogen and age-related diseases. The uh, Shute family, who were the first ones to popularize uh, the therapeutic use of vitamin E, uh, started out with it uh, preventing blood clots related to high estrogen, and uh, Uh, that overlaps with um, the estrogen activating the breakdown uh, production of free radicals from the polyunsaturated fats uh, and causing vascular disease and so on. So vitamin E was a a fertility drug and an anti-estrogen nutrient as well as as a protection against the polyunsaturated fats.
1: So lots of people consider... um you know, vitamin E to be an antioxidant to help protect us against free radicals, but you're saying that a free radical-producing substance is this vegetable oil, this liquid liquid oils and the fish oils and the the other liquid vegetables apart from olive oil.
2: Um, yeah, in the 1940s, uh, before um, that antioxidant concept was introduced, uh, vitamin E was being thought of as an anti-estrogen, but in 1942 the estrogen industry basically took over the FDA and public consciousness and uh, uh, suppressed everything that uh, incriminated estrogen in aging, miscarriage, and so on. And so uh, since vitamin E was, by the Shute family and others, identified as an anti-estrogen, the, the estrogen industry uh, shifted the emphasis to uh, Protection against free uh, radical oxidation, and uh, the, um, the there was very quickly a, a, an awareness that there was an, an inverse uh, relationship between uh, the polyunsaturated fats and vitamin E. Uh, if you increased your your vitamin E greatly, you could prevent damage from either estrogen or polyunsaturated fats. But with aging and the accumulation in the body, uh, you had to increase the amount of uh, vitamin E to prevent miscarriage, for example. Um, My thesis advisor, Arnold Soderwal, uh, did experiments in which he showed that you could prevent um, middle-aged infertility uh, just by increasing the amount of vitamin E in the animal's diet progressively and uh, extrapolating to human uh, levels, it would be uh, the equivalent of 400 uh, units of vitamin E per day by the age of about 45 to maintain fertility. Wow. <laughs> uh, but that amount increases if you increase the amount of polyunsaturated fat in the diet. Right if you carefully avoid the polyunsaturates your requirement for vitamin e is very low that it it creeps up gradually with aging
1: so then maybe the dietary amount that you can get from the foods you eat would be enough um yeah but with increasing polyunsaturates in the american and all over the world diet the need for vitamin e has gone up
2: yeah and it very quickly reaches the point where you can no longer stop the Radical production, just by increasing the vitamin
0: e okay, well, the main reason I, were, I started the, uh, the the conversation towards this direction is because there were two articles, one was published by the and I could kick myself for not having them but I, I, had, I thought I was had a laptop with me anyway i 'm sure you probably you know the you know about them dr Pe, and if you could uh, remember any more than I did from reading them, there was basically a two thousand and nine and a two thousand and eleven uh, peer review article which published data conclusively proving that saturated fat intake improved mortality and morbidity in patients with heart failure. And this is one of the uh, first direct references to seeing that saturated fats, oh, and it was also in reference improved mortality and morbidity compared to PUFA, which is the polyunsaturates. So this was another direct um, piece of evidence to show that the scientific community, to- the scientific community at least are uh, getting this point across and hopefully the medical community will start taking notice of it as time goes on
2: um, yeah that the 2011 study was by Galval and others T.F.
0: Galval mm-hmm. and did you have anything more to say than I've remembered from the article without having it in front of me about the uh, about the um, uh, morbidity and mortality improvements
2: um, just that a high intake of saturated fat improves survival,
3: yeah. while
2: a high intake of polyunsaturated uh, fat <laughs> uh, improves yeah, survival. Excellent. Okay. And, how,
1: and how do the triglycerides affect the level of triglycerides in your blood? How does this affect the...
2: Um, uh, they're, according to um, Horwich and others, the 2009 study, uh, there have been several studies that showed that a higher level of lipoproteins... Uh, total cholesterol, uh, low-density lipoprotein uh, and high-density and triglycerides are all associated with improved survival in heart failure patients.
0: Right. So a higher cholesterol is directly... Uh, responsible for an improved outcome. So that's pretty staggering as far as I'm concerned because the medical community at large are telling people not to um, consume saturated animal fats because it raises cholesterol and cholesterol's bad for you. And you've been talking about this for years and years and years and we've only heard from you for the last three or four years and we've been trying to get this aired uh, to people that will um, listen to it who don't just... Uh, disregard it out of hand with, without recognizing the science behind it. And um, here we have one medical university in Los Angeles and another uh, medical university, I forget where that one was, but peer-published reviews showing the improved outcomes. So that's that's pretty significant.
1: So why why did he get so back to front?
0: Well, I think that's just a general weight of pressure from the industry, and uh, it's, it's just not a...
2: Yeah, the seed oil industry uh, created that myth, because they found that uh, eating a lot of seed oil would lower your cholesterol. And since you have cholesterol in atherosclerotic arteries, uh, they said it must be causing the atherosclerosis. (laughs) That was never demonstrated, and in fact it protects you against uh, atherosclerosis, among other things.
1: And wasn't it uh, the Japanese who came up with an article showing or another,
2: um, yeah. The, there's polyunsaturated fat in the uh, plaques in the old deteriorated arteries.
1: And oxidized yeah, omega ox- three ox- and ox- omega six, and under so that's underneath the cholesterol bandage, and the cholesterol bandage is trying to stop that rapid rate of oxidation. Yeah, so H, the
2: pigment cl- is the product of breakdown of the polyunsaturated fats.
1: So we can look at cholesterol as an antioxidant. It's slowing down that rapid oxidation of free radical damage to our arteries. The cholesterol is actually bandaging that up and acting as an antioxidant.
2: That was uh, demonstrated and published already in, in a major medical textbook in 1922,
1: 1922. That's this, just when
0: this the... is. This is where you get that saying that you've quoted before now. That uh, uh, a lie spreads around the world quicker than truth can get our shoelaces tied.
2: Well, if you <laughs> put millions of dollars in yeah. the advertising yeah. and bribes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? There is actually a caller on the line, and although we don't generally take callers till 7:30 in the show, I, I don't want to keep them waiting any longer. But if any other callers could hang on till 7:30, uh, let's take this first caller and see what's see what's uh, you on
4: the air. Hello, and thank you very much for taking my call. I'm 68, very active, and I've been eating yogurt and fruit and fresh vegetables with olive oil now for about six months. There is a lot of uh, stroke and heart failure in my family tree. I, My doctor recently prescribed a blood pressure medicine it makes me um, unactive, unenergetic, and for the past two weeks I've been taking uh, a tablespoon of chia seeds into my diet, which is very strictly kept. And they do, in fact, give me energy, and I chew them really well. I'm wondering what is the doctor's opinion of. Um, my counteractin- counteracting the blood pressure medicine with chia seeds.
2: Um, I couldn't hear what the substances were.
1: Chia seeds? And um, you didn't mention the name of the blood pressure drug, but...
4: Al- mal- uh, Almedopine.
0: Hmm. Almedopine.
2: Um it's yeah. a- say that that was to lower uh, or inhibit the angiotensin-converting enzyme. Um, that, that's the one heart drug that I think is probably beneficial. Uh, it, it lowers inflammation, if, if it's the one I'm thinking of, but I don't know the brand names of them.
1: So her question is, do you think that, what do you think about the way she's been feeling with the chia seeds helping re-energize her after she started taking this blood pressure drug that is making her lethargic?
2: Oh, I, I don't know of anything in the chia seeds that would, that would be beneficial.
0: Right. I mean, they are seeds. That they're very, they're seed mu- oils, eh?
1: they're, I don't know if they're very high in oil, but they're very mucilaginous. Um, when I've tried them, they're very mucilaginous and... They could be acting as a, um, yeah, a laxative to your bowels. Have your bowel improve, have bowel movements improved? They were never a Well, I'm not sure. I know it's traditionally been used to be an energizer. I'm not sure exactly what compound in it that has been um, reported to be energizing.
2: If it works as a bulk laxative, it would make you feel better by uh, lowering uh, bacterial
3: endotoxin. Okay.
0: Well, I don't thank know if that's... You. Sh-
4: thank you so very, very much. I'm going to go back to the radio where it's easier to hear.
0: Okay. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your call. Okay, so um, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject of blood pressure regulation, heart failure, and muscle atrophy, so muscle weakening and wasting. Now, I know, Dr. Pete, you did quite a lot of um, personal research on aging as a process and um, have come across many different things that are... Anti-aging in their own right, or anti-inflammatory, or um, energy-producing in terms of uh, increasing cellular respiration and uh, thyroid hormone being one of those things. in in terms of the uh, in terms of heart failure. And um, I think just to go back to the uh, articles or the res- reference articles that were published about the saturated fats and the improvement in outcome with people with heart failure and Higher cholesterol being more beneficial and higher triglycerides being more beneficial and it 's being completely counter what we 've normally uh, been told for whatever reasons um, the uh, the link the link to heart failure and these fats the saturated fats, and why it is that they 're actually protective and why cholesterol is actually very protective and not something you want to avoid but actually something you want to make sure your cholesterol is reasonably high and a 180, 190 cholesterol is actually not a problem. And you've always said that for elderly people, uh, not that elderly, but 50, 50 plus, um, you want to have a cholesterol that's about 200 and even if it was over that between 200 and 220, it's actually not a problem, whereas the uh, medical community want to uh, put you on statin drugs and now many of these have been recalled um, for being you know pre- pre- <laughs> precluding to other disease um what's your what's your um take on the saturated fats in terms of their uh either anti-inflammatory effect or their um heart protective effect
2: i, I think it's it's all one thing for all of the systems uh the, the saturated fats uh, tend to inhibit the stress hormones uh which produce a shift to uh fat metabolism away from sugar metabolism by liberating fats from storage. Uh, Once you get too much of the polyunsaturated fats in your body, uh, a little stress tends to become a big stress because that type of fat intensifies the stress hormones, uh, creating a vicious circle. The the saturated fats uh, turn off the inflammation rather than amplifying it. And that applies. Um, It was a Hindu who uh, about uh, 30 years ago, maybe 35, uh, noticed that alcoholics in the Indian regions that use a lot of butter uh, didn't get liver disease. And so he did the animal experiments and found that uh, butter or other saturated fats protect the liver. And uh, there have been... A lot of studies since then published in the U.S. showing that uh, even uh, large amounts of alcohol uh, don't hurt the liver if a person is getting saturated fats. But if they get any of the polyunsaturated fats, uh, their hepatitis flares up uh, Mm -hmm. and cirrhosis. And the same with cancer. Um, If you look at the uh, ratio of saturated to uh, unsaturated fats in the body, Uh, they call it the saturation index Uh, that goes uh, the more saturated your fats are the less uh, susceptible you are to developing cancer so uh, fibrotic inflammatory and uh, tumor diseases as well as as heart failure uh, and blood clotting diseases uh, are are all uh, closely associated with the polyunsaturated fats and so protected against by the saturated ones.
1: So these um, polyunsaturates really interfere with energy production. And I know when you just mentioned that to that caller that if somebody took a bulk laxative, they would feel better because of lowering endotoxin in the gut. And that's another thing that severely interferes with energy production in our body. So can you tell us a little bit about endotoxin and how that poisons us and what foods we should avoid in order to not support the growth of those bacteria that produce the endotoxin?
2: Um, the, um, the endotoxin, one of the first things that it triggers is nitric oxide, uh, which is a vasodilator, and both uh, nitric oxide and the endotoxin increase the production of serotonin, and all of these, besides inhibiting the production of uh, energy using oxygen and shifting it over to lactic acid production. All of these increase the uh, leakiness of blood vessels. And uh, if you simply turn off the supply of sugar, uh, in diabetes, for example, you can't metabolize sugar. In starvation, you don't get the sugar in in your diet. Uh, in hypothyroidism, uh, you uh, are under stress, and so you're uh, shifting over to uh, liberating fats and burning fats instead of sugar. So in anything that impairs energy production, whether it's the toxins starting with endotoxin, nitric oxide and serotonin, or if it's the actual environmental interference with your uh production of energy and supply of energy, all of these make your blood vessels leaky. Uh, all of them raise free fatty acids, uh, which interfere with the use of oxygen, and the free fatty acids lead to a whole cascade of inflammatory mediators, especially prostaglandins, and the prostaglandins in turn interact, making more uh, nitric oxide and, and other inflammatory things. So once you get loaded up with the polyunsaturated fats, uh, all of these things tend to interact. The the fats lower (coughs) your um, thyroid function and increase your estrogen production, uh, both of which uh, intensify the inflammation, leakiness, and loss of energy production.
1: So... Other things that can influence the intestinal health and the, the dilation of these blood vessels in the intestine are things like starchy carbohydrates that feed the bacteria that produces this endotoxin. And those things can be, you know, mit- you can mitigate the starchy, the, endot- the bacteria from feeding on the starches by not eating them, that's the best thing. And Dr. Pete, you also recommend carrots and bamboo shoots because they're like antibacterial fibers that don't that the bacteria can't seem to feed on.
2: Uh, yeah, it's extremely rare for a, a person to have microorganisms that can survive a, a good supply of, of either carrots or bamboo fiber. The, certain organisms can adapt to live on them, but... Uh, it's very rare.
1: And also, herbs like golden seal and cascara bark, those, those herbs can decrease the number of bacteria in there that are wreaking havoc and producing a lot of endotoxin, and therefore then help you protect your liver.
2: And actually, the saturated fats, that's one of the direct effects. Uh, they're uh, antibacterial.
1: Uh, yeah, coconut oil is antimicrobial. It's antibacterial. Nothing grows in it. <laughs> it just sits there, for ages and doesn't change. Now, what about the other thing that interferes with energy production? You um, were writing in your last newsletter about the substitution of iron for copper in the respiratory enzyme. Um, so, is this with a copper deficiency and an iron overload? Is that how this is seen?
2: Um, it, yeah, that's it, just a diet can affect it, but um, stress tends to um, intensify it, Uh, not getting enough light, uh, anything that stresses uh, your energy production system such as high estrogen or nitric oxide or low thyroid or too much darkness uh, uh, will tend to um, make you lose copper from your respiratory system and As copper gets lost, uh, iron just tends to uh, fill in for it, uh, binding to some of the same
0: enzymes. It's a very sorry.
1: So, with um, I know shellfish are a rich source of copper, but with the current situation, with our Pacific Ocean having Japanese debris wash up on the shores, um, what would you recommend a good source of copper?
2: Liver. Um, just um, beef liver, calf liver, is
1: um, buffalo uh, liver.
2: Yeah, uh, the it has a lot of iron too, but uh, the copper tends to concentrate in the liver.
0: So the uh, the place that copper o- occupies in the respiratory enzyme that you're mentioning has a greater is it has a greater affinity for copper than it does for iron. So if you have an adequate supply of copper, then it will get picked up. Yeah. Yeah. Because iron is. There's lots of things being written about iron. How destructive it is. How readily it um, uh, reacts. So, and that is, that being its main its main uh, problem is that it's very reactive in the body.
1: It's it's another oxidant.
0: Um, yeah.
2: And taking a supplement of a, a free metal, iron, zinc, uh, or copper. Um, in the form of a free metal, it can interact with uh, nutrients in your digestive system and oxidize them, Uh, but iron is the worst one to take as a supplement.
1: And another thing for our listeners to avoid is cooking acidic products in cast iron pans or making soups in cast iron um, stockpots because you will be dissolving that iron when you're cooking them. So, Dr. Pete, can you tell us some more about um, what can what else can interfere with the thyroid hormone, and how this can affect heart failure and high blood pressure?
2: Um, the uh, polyunsaturated fats and stress are uh, probably the most common things throughout uh, Western uh, diet culture, but um, traditionally the cabbage family and beans uh, were the main uh, goitrogens, things that interfere with formation of the thyroid hormone. And uh, in the Andes and uh, parts of southern Mexico and uh, western China, uh, there's still a tremendous amount of of, uh, thyroid deficiency and and, uh, cretinism. Uh, I've read that there are... uh, I think it was 100 million cretins in western China uh, and uh, beans are a major uh, factor in in the the Andes and Mexico and I I think in China too besides an actual iodine deficiency but um, the the cabbage family especially if they aren't cooked well so the coleslaw uh, if a person ate, ate coleslaw every day they would very uh, likely have a, a thyroid problem
1: and what about poor protein intake does that influence the thyroid hormone
2: um yeah in um, the 1940s uh, studies were done showing uh, that they saw that uh, people in the concentration camps uh, men who came out and started eating well uh, would often grow breasts and they saw that uh, The starvation for protein in particular uh, causes the liver to become unable to uh, destroy estrogen, uh, and thyroid is needed uh, to um, inactivate estrogen. And if you're uh, getting low calories, but especially low thyroid, you turn your metabolism down so that you don't eat up the proteins in your muscles so fast. Uh, So just a fairly slight protein deficiency will cause your thyroid to slow down defensively. And that means that your liver is uh, leaving more estrogen in circulation. And then estrogen blocks the enzymes which attach iodine uh, to the protein to make the thyroid hormone. So uh, just stress, or a protein deficiency will let estrogen rise and the rising estrogen will block the secretion from your thyroid, uh, creating a vicious circle.
1: But then when they came out and started eating well, their livers were damaged so severely that their estrogen was really high. Um,
2: Yeah, and animal studies showed that uh, vitamins B1 and B2, as well as uh, protein, were the, the main things that uh, activate the liver to inactivate
0: uh, estrogen. And one of, the, one of the best sources for B vitamins is liver, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I just want to let people know that uh, this is uh, 7.30 is gone now, but you're listening to Ask Your Rev. Doctor on KMED Garberville 91.1 FM. So uh, if anyone in the area would like to call about this month's uh, subjects uh, of blood pressure regulation, heart failure, Uh, and muscle atrophy, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, The number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911. If you live outside the area, toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. And Dr. Raymond Pete is joining us on the show here to uh, impart his wisdom, and uh, we'll be giving out his uh, contact details towards the end of the show.
1: So another question I have for you, Dr. Pete, is how does salt restriction adversely affect pregnancy toxemia with high blood pressure, and high blood pressure in general for the normal population,
0: unpregnant population. We, we, I think we might want to keep that call, actually. For our, sorry, Sarah. We might might want to keep that question until we've listened to the callers because there are actually a couple of callers coming now. So let's take this first call and Hold that thought, sir. That's a good question. Hello? Yeah, you're on the air.
2: Hi, thank you so much. i want to know what
3: the doctor thinks about a uh, regimen of simvastatin, 80 milligrams for the past three years. I had a heart attack four years ago, and I've been Simvastatin for cholesterol
2: control, mm-hmm. cholesterol control, and 80 milligrams for the past three years. What's the downside of that?
0: Okay, Doctor Pete, did you did... hear that? Uh, not exactly. Okay, the day caller was asking what the downside of an 80 milligram dose of simvastatin that he's been on for three years, prior to I think he said he had a heart attack. Four years ago um, four years ago, there you go, so he wants to know what the downside to the Simba statins are, but we've yeah we 've heard lots of bad press about the statins, but he's obviously uh, wants to know what your um, opinion
2: it depends on how much it interferes with uh, cholesterol synthesis, but uh, one of the side effects that turns up is uh, because when you interfere with cholesterol synthesis you're also interfering with uh, some other very essential things such as uh, the synthesis of uh, coenzyme Q10 mm-hmm. and and other regulatory things, and uh, that can uh, cause muscle uh, problems because uh, coenzyme Q10 is needed for uh, producing energy.
0: Um, is, if the call is still there, do you know um, what your cholesterol is at this point?
3: Yes, it's come down quite a lot. It's like 49 is the uh, HDL and 46 is the LDL. Do you
0: know what the total is? I think it's 147.
3: Yeah, that's pretty, that's low. H- that's how? very low. I got down very low. How old are you? Uh, 50, 53 to 54.
0: Okay, Dr. Pete, maybe you'd like to answer that question about uh, what a total cholesterol of 154 would be to that uh, caller and perhaps some of the uh, research that's come out showing that the high cholesterol is actually a lot lot better for people. Uh, I think also in light of the gentleman's um, previous uh, heart attack Perhaps the uh, ways of avoiding that, in terms of what we've been discussing. Well,
3: just to wonder how long can I stay on simvastatin? How long is that? Is that going to? Uh, is that going to take its effect on me over ten years or five years? Or have
4: a, well, have how,
1: do you in? know what your cholesterol was before you had the heart I attack? I
4: really don't know. It wasn't that high, but it was at, that, at the
2: high end of normal. Okay, Dr. Pete. Um, I, I doubt that there was any connection at all. Uh, between the cholesterol and the heart attack, if it was in the normal range, um, you might actually not have had enough uh, protective effect from cholesterol. Uh, to, it depends on what your uh, exposure was, because mm-hmm. uh, cholesterol can protect you from heavy metal poisoning, uh, many kinds of, of uh, poisoning This
3: is the first I've heard of this cholesterol protective. Interesting that you have you put it that way, but...
0: I'll look into that. Well, uh, on on Dr. Pete's um, website, at the end of the show, we'll give out the address, but there are several articles specifically on cholesterol um, and their relation, their cardioprotective effects, and their basically their anti-inflammatory health effects. And as I said at the very beginning of the show, when we opened up this uh, month's topic with Dr. Pete, there are two articles that came out both scientific peer-reviewed uh, scientific literature, one from the University of Los Angeles, and the other was, I forget, the, the um, um, institution that provided it, uh, demonstrating clearly that cholesterol was actually beneficial in the outcome of heart failure patients. Um, so just to show that the, uh, the, the what, what Dr. Pete's been saying for a long way, a long time has actually been um, being brought to bear. That's in, in what I've heard, but I thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your call.
3: Okay, I think there's another caller on there. We, we had a shy person, and I'm reading their simple question. Uh, she had atrophy, or maybe her friend had atrophy related to a pinched nerve in the neck and was curious about any dietary information that might be able to help atrophy related to a pinched nerve.
0: Okay, Dr. Pete, many... Uh... Um,
2: it, yeah, there are several uh, things that could hormonally and nutritionally relate to a pinched nerve. Uh, the, the One of the most common uh, situations of nerve pinching has to do with swelling of the uh, uh, the sheath or membrane around the nerve. It swells up so much, in, in, uh, for example, in a, a thyroid deficiency or estrogen excess, uh, that the water uh, makes this sheath compress the nerve so that even without uh, much external uh, pressure or irritation, the nerve uh, starts uh, being damaged by the the waterlogged uh, condition of its environment. And uh, if it's uh, in a a neck joint where your uh, cartilage might be uh, softened because of uh, hypothyroidism, uh, which tends to cause waterlogging of the cartilage and uh, causes it to be over compressible so that the, the uh, structure of the disc, for example, uh, can compress under the weight of your of your head and and upper body, uh, comp- causing the, the disc to spread out and push on your spinal cord and nerves. Uh, but all of the connective tissues tend to swell up with high estrogen or low thyroid and uh, so you want to check your hormones in whenever there's a, a nerve pressure pinching problem. Um, in dogs and horses, uh, many years ago uh, they saw that, uh, that dogs and horses both uh, suffered uh, spinal nerve compression and paralysis of the rear legs was a, a common result from a compression of the spinal cord and they found that a copper deficiency uh, was responsible, and keeping horses indoors eating uh, uh, dry hay uh, was considered responsible for the copper deficiency, but the absence of light is one of the things that makes your respiratory enzymes lose its necessary copper. Uh, So the combination of darkness and uh, possibly a copper deficiency in the diet uh, will uh, cause an energy failure leading to a swelling of the connective tissues leading to pinching of the nerves
3: excellent okay, so good.
1: a liver going back to liver good quality grass-fed organic calves or beef liver or buffalo liver that's and, a good source of um copper
2: yeah and it's important to check your thyroid and uh The um, medical uh, community for 30 years now has been relying on the TSH measurement as an indicator of hypothyroidism, but uh, they don't like to see the TSH get very low. But TSH is in itself the cause of many of the symptoms uh, blamed on low thyroid. It's partly the, the lack of the respiratory effect of, of the thyroid hormone, but when your hormone is low, the TSH is high, and the TSH has uh, pro-inflammatory actions uh, that, for example, increase the fibrinogen in your blood, making your blood uh, harder to circulate, more viscous.
1: And more easily clotted. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. So... Um-
2: And so it's really best for your circulatory system and nervous system and so on to to have your TSH at at least at the low end of normal, which according to the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists is 0.3 to 3.0. But one study found that a population that had TSH below 0.4 had the lowest incidence of thyroid cancer. And, and so uh, somewhere between 0.0, 0 to 0. 0.4 would be the, the safe range, probably.
1: Because if you have enough thyroid hormones circulating, then there shouldn't be a high level of TSH. Yeah. That can be a little bit confusing for patients sometimes.
0: Okay. Um, Sarah, the question that you had just prior...
1: Right, so I wanted to talk about salt and how this affects water retention and um, heart failure, swelling of the heart and heart failure, and pregnancy toxemia. Maybe I should ask you one question at a time, Dr. B, but I think they're all linked to a salt deficiency, and st- scientific studies have shown that.
2: Um, if you just inject a fairly concentrated salt solution, you can see that it, Uh, directly reduces the leakiness of blood vessels Uh, but once anything such as uh, starvation or high estrogen or whatever uh, starts the uh, leakiness problem of your capillaries uh, sodium tends to be the first thing that you lose Uh, uh, estrogen is uh, a major factor in causing the retention of water and the loss of sodium so that your tissues, the fluids become hypotonic and they tend to force water into your cells rather than drawing water out as it's produced.
1: And this is common with PMS when the estrogen rises for ladies, you can, a lot of women experience an increased swelling and bloating around this time.
2: Um, Yeah, and the the, uh, toxemia symptoms of pregnancy are essentially the same as PMS symptoms. And surprisingly, menopause involves many of the same uh, symptoms as premenstrual syndrome. And uh, that's one of the great mystifications created by the estrogen industry is that uh, uh, all of these bad symptoms, they say, are caused by a deficiency of estrogen, <laughs> but in fact you see the uh, the effects on the circulatory system: high high blood pressure, uh, leakiness, uh, a tendency to form aneurysms, and to to uh, uh, have the aneurysms rupture and cause bleeding, uh, the spontaneous hemorrhaging. All of these tend to associate with Uh, the time of menstruation uh, at the end of the premenstrual time when the progesterone falls, leaving unopposed estrogen, and uh, in toxemic pregnancies when the woman isn't getting uh, good nutrition, especially not enough protein and salt, and in menopause. uh, but uh, The menopause in particular uh, has been, Uh, characterized as a time of estrogen deficiency. But if you look at all of the uh, events uh, of menopause, uh, the health failures of the various systems, they're all identical to these other uh, times of estrogen excess.
1: And that's why they had to stop that HRT trial. About 10 years ago, they stopped a trial because too many women were getting heart attacks. Because of stroke. the high estrogen and strokes. Functions. And Alzheimer's. <laughs> and so for a while their doctors were not recommending um, HRT and they wanted women to come off of it. But somehow I'm now seeing women that are back on HRT. And I don't know how it just got switched around in less than 10 years. But I do. we do have a caller on the line. Oh, we don't have a caller on the line. They hung up.
0: <laughs> okay, if that caller was there. They'd like to call back. That's just fine. So Sarah, you
1: So... How does salt play a part in helping relieve this uh, edema and excessive leak of uh, water from the blood into the tissues, the surrounding tissues? So it's a loss of fluid from the blood that leaks into the surrounding tissues and causes a puffy feeling, appearance.
2: Um, It has some direct effects on the mitochondria, increasing energy production and the shifting the balance of the cell in the right direction to uh, produce more carbon dioxide. And uh, working with the carbon dioxide, it's very close to thyroid's effects in uh, regulating its own uh, concentration in the body. Uh, It increases carbon dioxide, and the carbon dioxide helps to retain as much sodium as you need. Um, without the uh, sodium or thyroid, you uh, tend to produce more lactic acid, displacing the carbon dioxide, causing inflammation and water retention uh, so uh, the um, many doctors will just insist that uh, the more salt you eat, the more water you will retain and the higher your blood pressure will be but uh, uh David uh, McConnell, I think his name was, was um, uh, the first medical person to uh, point out that it's a a calcium deficiency rather than a a sodium excess that accounts for uh, so much of the high blood pressure uh, related to nutrition.
0: So they had it right in the uh, in the 50s and before in the uh, in the wars that were conducted in the uh, deserts and the hot places, maybe in North Africa, <clears throat> that they used to give the troops salt tablets. <laughs> so they, it wasn't it wasn't unknown. It was uh, it was it was pretty popular. I think in India uh, when the uh, troops were in or well, the British troops were in India colonising it, and uh, also in the uh, North African wars. I remember my my uh, stepfather telling me about the uh, salt tablets I used to get. (laughs) That's been very common and Uh, normal.
2: One of the interesting effects of increasing your sodium intake is that it it, uh, tends to stabilize your blood sugar, partly because it works with thyroid to improve energy efficiency, but it lowers adrenaline, and uh, that makes your uh, whole system work more efficiently uh, and It uh, prevents uh, hyperventilation, uh, which is another way that people tend to lose carbon dioxide and shift over to lactic acid.
1: It's also a good thing to take, like if you have a performance or a show and you're a little bit nervous about it, if you um, drink some orange juice with a little salt in it, that's also good for dehydration. But if you um, have that right before your show... It can really lower adrenaline, so you're a little more calm and more relaxed for your show. But we do have another caller on the line, and this will probably have to be our last caller.
0: Hey, how you doing? You're on yeah. Well, and you? Great show, great show. Hey, I was uh, just wondering, uh,
2: do you happen to know of an herbal supplement for isosorbide?
1: Hmm. Isosorbide?
2: Isosorbide, yeah.
1: I've never heard of it. It's a uh,
2: time-release nitroglycerin for the uh, for my oh, heart. Right, right, right. Okay,
1: nitroglycerin. And uh, there's nothing that's an herbal nitroglycerin. <laughs> uh, nitroglycerin is, Dr. Pete, do you want to talk about nitroglycerin to this client? Um,
2: uh, well, it uh, increases your uh, nitric oxide, which is uh, an age-accelerating free radical. That, that's the worst thing about it.
1: Um, as far as herbs for the heart, there's lots of herbs that are helpful for the heart, like hawthorn.
2: Right. Okay, now I was just wondering specifically about isosorbide.
1: I'm um, sorry, I can't help you there. Okay, thanks
0: a lot. Great thanks show, your
1: guys.
0: Thanks for the caller. Okay, thanks for calling. Bye. Okay, Dr. Pete, that, uh, that's an interesting question. The uh, the whole the whole, uh, and I know it's not a very simple one-off question, but uh, the the whole point of coronary artery occlusion or blockage that the medical fraternity will put down to cholesterol, um, the <clears throat> the main the main way that people can help themselves not to get blocked arteries from their diet just just say a few quick words about it.
2: Um, eating enough calcium, interestingly, uh, is protective of of the circulatory system and prevents hardening of the arteries with calcium accumulation.
3: Okay.
2: Because the parathyroid hormone rises when you don't eat enough calcium or eat too much phosphorus, and uh, Beans, uh, wheat germ, and meat are uh, very high in in phosphorus and low in calcium. And uh, vitamin K is very powerful at preventing calcification of the arteries.
0: Vitamin
1: K is very high in nettle, herb, and kale, and liver is also a very good source of vitamin K.
0: Okay, we do actually have one more caller, Doctor P. Sorry, sorry to cut in there, but we've got one more caller. So let's I'm, say...
3: I'm squeezing the quick question in. Oh. A newly diagnosed diabetic would like some nutrient and dietary and herbal advice, okay. just quick off the cuff. Okay.
0: Do we know how old they are? Um,
2: a couple of my articles on the the website uh, explain why you shouldn't be panicked into avoiding sugar, and uh, polyunsaturated fats are the best documented cause of diabetes.
1: So avoiding all those liquid vegetable oils, oily fish, pork fat, chicken fat, turkey, any poultry your, fat. Yeah,
0: switching your diet to saturated sources.
1: Saturated fat, butter, coconut oil, Brilliant. beef, lamb fat.
0: Okay, so the, the whole diabetes thing, I know we've talked about this uh, in previous shows, but uh, we, we're not going to get the time for this uh, for this round.
1: And how it works is just real quick, is the the polyunsaturated fats poison the pancreatic beta cells from producing insulin. So eventually, once those are removed, then your pancreatic beta cells can recover and start producing insulin again. And
2: and glucose stimulates the regeneration
1: of the beta cells. And so the thing they tell you not to do, glucose,
0: (laughs) is what you need.
1: Is Uh, what you need. So read those articles on Dr. Pete's website. They're very, very informative.
0: And they've done clinical trials where they have actually uh, seen pancreatic uh, beta cells come back. It's not as though they're not there, and it's not as though they've all been destroyed.
1: So Uh, Dr. Pete's website.
0: (laughs) Right. Let's give out Dr. Pete's website. It's all about Dr. Pete, folks. So make sure you go and read his uh, articles. They should turn your life around. I know they've definitely made a huge difference to us and the people that we see. Um, Okay. So uh, Dr. Pete's website is www.raypeat.com. And on the uh, homepage there, there's a link to the articles. There's probably 30 or 40 articles um, most of which are sort of ten, 10 pages long with three or four pages of uh, scientific ri- uh, references to them. So it's, um, it's very well written. And uh, whilst it may be a little difficult to understand if you don't have a particularly scientific mind, um, if you folks out there have um, heard the radio show and you've got a particular condition that you think may be there, go take a look because um, there's certainly the information there that you'll need. And if you can't at least understand it, maybe someone else can help you understand it. Well,
1: there's always things that everyone can understand about the different foods and the different supplements that can help you, the different nutrients micronutrients, macronutrients that can help you recover from whatever it is you're suffering from
0: okay. Dr. Pete, do you have anything else
1: yeah. to say before we
0: We've got three got three minutes <laughs>
2: oh, um, I, I should mention uh, the work of uh, Ravenskov uh, a, a doctor who researched uh, the role of saturated fats and unsaturated and uh, uh, showed that there's no basis whatsoever at any time <laughs> in history for, for the uh, cholesterol scare.
0: Okay, this, if, do you know the spelling of his name so people can write uh, yeah. it down?
2: R a v n s k o v.
0: Right. Okay. Is he? Uh, you're Eastern European, or
2: his first name I think is Ufe
0: ufe U uh, f f e or. I think UFE. Hmm. A UFE. Okay, good. Okay, so Ufi uh for those people that are listening who'd like to know any more about um, the the whys and wherefores of that. Okay, so it's about uh, two minutes to, so we're going to start to wrap up here. So thank you so much, Dr. Pete, for giving your time to the uh, people that are listening. We really appreciate your time and expertise. Okay.
1: And thank you, callers, for calling in.
0: Okay, so uh, that's the third Friday of July. Uh, we'll be back the third Friday of August. Uh, summer's moving right along. It's getting warmer and warmer now. And uh, I hope when we come back next time, you guys will have got plenty of vitamin D from the sunshine. Make sure you get exposed to it. Obviously, you don't have to sit there and burn, but get plenty of vitamin D. Make sure you get your saturated fats. Avoid the liquid oils. Make sure you get plenty of calcium and all that good stuff. So anyway, till the next uh, third Friday of August,
1: Good night. Good
3: night. And support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at Medicinal Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, KMUE Eureka Arcata, 88.1 FM, KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM, and FM Translator K258BQ Shelter Cove, 99.5 We're also live and archived on the web at kmud.org. Stay tuned and get ready to get funked up with Cousin Mark.
1: Remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.